0: Hello and welcome to the Field Guides. I'm Bill and I'm here with Steve. Good afternoon, Steve. Good afternoon, Bill. And what we're going to do today and over the course of many future episodes is give the experience of what it's like to be in the woods, in the field, and on the trail. Each episode we pick a natural history topic, research the science behind that topic, and then take you out to a natural spot and share with you everything that we have learned and this is our second audio postcard from the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And this is actually the first time we have done a two-part episode where we didn't record both parts simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. So this uh, this is unique because I can actually comment on the past episode right now instead of having to just do it online in the episode description.
1: Oh, you mean the stuff that no one ever reads? All of our corrections, all the mistakes that we point out that no one realizes that are mistakes. Whoa. What do you see? uh, A a bit of a fort um, made out of logs and tarps. Yeah, so
0: let's tell people where we are. Sure. We're the Taylor Road <laughs> this Nature is, Area. This I don't know. The site with the worst name ever. It's the Taylor Road Family Recreation Site or something. Yeah. <laughs> so we recorded our tick episode here.
1: Yeah, the worst of the two tick episodes that we did back to back, essentially. What do you mean the worst? The one that we had Wayne on. I'm just saying that oh, that's better. So, gotcha. Yes, yeah. of course. Wayne knows. <laughs> An a lot actual guy
0: me. that works with ticks. Yeah. <laughs> So I actually know what this is. So folks, we are in the middle of a beautiful springtime woods. We're surrounded by uh, maples and cherries and lots of spring ephemerals blooming. So the hemlocks, yeah. Yeah the, uh, the trout lilies everywhere. The forest floor here is coated with trout lilies. Uh, I've seen a few leaks and we are in the middle here in Western York of spring ephemeral time. So yeah. lots of stuff is popping. But this good time for spring ephemerals, good time for birds. Well, maybe a little early for birds, but so, our friend Tom Kerr, he just posted on Facebook last night a weather radar image of lots of migration happening. Nice, so okay. It's just getting rolling right now. Yeah. But what Steve is talking about, there is a large, I guess you could say, hand built structure made out of logs and sticks and tarps. Yeah. This is where our friends from Earth Spirit, the environmental education group, they do maple sugar in here. Uh huh. So, they set up like a primitive maple sugar camp. Yeah. And remember, they. Do maple sugaring every day in March here, mm-hmm. but they got shut down halfway through their maple sugaring season. Oh, right. So they haven't been able to get back out here to take everything down.
1: Got it. So we just, we just see Scott or Sandy walk out right now. <laughs> that's where they're living. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think it is. <laughs>
0: So I think we should acknowledge the fact that most people listening to this are probably um, living under quarantine, right? Yeah. So Steve and I are trying our best to be socially distant right now.
1: We are only three feet apart as opposed to the six that's (laughs) recommended.
0: And, you know, I was driving over here thinking, wow, you know, years from now, hopefully people will be listening to this. Um, Looking back on this time and just to give you a uh, kind of a timestamp, we are um, the week following the Friday when our president recommended mainlining disinfectant and uh, (laughs) (laughs) I will say though
1: in I don't want to say anything in his defense necessarily but he didn't tell people to do it themselves he said that we would get medical doctors to look into it but unfortunately some people that we have empathy for may take that as an endorsement to use household disinfectants uh, on themselves which there there had I guess there was a bit of a spike in poison control hotlines uh, Uh, since then so or at least it was confirmed uh, from NPR is that causation Uh, well (laughs) it's it's a bit of a coincidence but um, (laughs) but uh, don't don't do it guys (laughs) yeah don't do
0: it now our listeners are smart enough not to do it I think so i think so definitely all right so speaking of our smart listeners we did get some feedback on the last episode and we haven't even talked about what this this episode is beyond part two of something so (laughs) this is part two of our coyote episode yeah if you haven't listened to part one we suggest going back and doing that you don't have to do that i guess but we kind of laid the groundwork on coyotes there general natural history talked about some of the commonly held beliefs whether they hold out in research or not And today we're gonna be answering two questions really. One is do coyotes eat livestock or do they have a big impact on livestock? And then we'll get into the current debate about whether the coyote here in the east should be a new species or not. Nice. All right. But to talk about what the listeners gave us as feedback, we had at least a couple people get in touch with us about the coyotes' weight, because I did say Uh that coyotes here in the east. they average about 30 to 40 pounds, up to 50 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I did have at least two people send me links or just comment that the largest coyote ever captured was 75 pounds Wow! Uh, back in 1937 in hmm. Wyoming. So hmm. that, of course, is an outlier. So <laughs> maybe I should have looked that up. But that is the one that I could find that's confirmed. There have been other reports that. no no we found larger ones but there's been some debate about whether that's actually a wolf and not a coyote so right. one was doing some dna testing one account i found but i couldn't find what the result of that testing was <laughs> so the best confirmation i could find was 75 pounds is the record all right second thing i wanted to talk about coyote attacks Mm. I meant to talk about that last time, and I just kind of skipped over it in my own. Oh,
1: I think, I have not actually listened to the last episode yet, (laughs) but (laughs) did you leave the part in where I said that Tom was telling me a story where he he sounded like he was surrounded by coyotes, but he said he wasn't really worried about it?
0: So Uh, think about North America, mm -hmm. U.S. and Canada. This is kind of a loaded question, but it always is. (laughs) How many (laughs) confirmed fatal coyote attacks have been on record?
1: I don't know, honestly. I, I would imagine very few. That that would be my guess. That's a good call. But if you include Mexico, which you were leaving out for some reason, <laughs> in the thousands, <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs>
0: there have been two, two, wow, okay. two fatal attacks mm-hmm. uh, that have been recorded over the past over 100 years. Mm. Now that's Canada and U.S. I'm not leaving out Mexico on purpose. That's just the only data I could find. Yeah. There was a, a fatal attack in 1981. And then a relatively recent one in 2009, it was actually in Canada. You may have heard of it, uh, kind of an up-and-coming country singer, was out jogging and, and was attacked by coyotes wow. fatally. Yeah, Fatally? Fatally.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Now, just to give you some context here, let's talk about dog bites. Mm. Every year, just in the U.S., 30 to 50 people die from dog bites or attacks. Mm-hmm. And as far as coyotes, there's just been two, as far as we know, in recorded history
1: now i i feel like i want to put that in perspective though because sure two from coyote but 30 to 40 from dogs 30 to 50 oh 30 to 50 from dogs but i kind of want to know like per capita what that is sure because there's so many more dogs than there are than there are coyotes at least i assume that's true
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's true maybe there's way more coyotes they're just really good at hiding yeah yeah right (laughs) cryptids but just to give you some more data to, to back this up From 1976 to 2006, one study showed that about 160 attacks occurred in the U.S. And most of them were in the L.A. County area, so Los Angeles County. Hmm. Especially in that area, attacks are becoming more frequent. Just to highlight that, from 88 to 97, Mm -hmm. there were 41 attacks. So that was nine years. But then from 98 to 2003, just in the subsequent five years, there were 48 attacks. Hmm. So it's increasing. The majority of those attacks occurred, again, in Southern California, and it's near that suburban wildland interface where you have really people moving into more wild territory where coyotes already are established. Now, I did find one study called an update on fatalities due to venomous and non-venomous animals in the United States. Mm, Coyotes would be venomous (laughs) then. (laughs) Good. (laughs) So this was just an interesting piece of data. They said that 576 people died in the U.S. during that time, 2008, 2015, so seven years, Mm -hmm. from cats, horses, cows, other hoofstock, pigs, raccoons, and other mammals. Wow. Holy cow. They just kind of lumped all those together. Yeah. Now, it said cats. I really wanted to find out, did they mean house cats? Because I just wanted to find out, like, does that happen?
1: (laughs) Bad word to use because we, we say cats like
0: domestic cats and feral cats like wild cats you know right but do they mean mountain lions do they count those as cats I i don't know i don't know i couldn't i tried to read through it and i couldn't find anywhere where they kind of pulled that particular line apart yeah but bottom line is coyote attacks on humans are uncommon and rarely cause serious injuries it's not something that you really need to worry about unless you're hopping around in front of a coyote, carrying, you know, raw meat or <laughs> raw meat necklaces. <laughs> we should say that pets, mm-hmm. cats, dogs, especially if they're left outside unattended, they are potential prey for coyotes. Right. Just one more reason to keep your cats inside. Yes. Right. right. Hey, did you see I posted on Twitter NPR link about an, an article that came out recently about one study found that house cats kill even more songbirds and small mammals than wild predators. I believe it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Holy I cow. was I was impressed though that we did not get any negative feedback from the audience about it. That,
1: that. that is something that you usually do get a lot of yeah, negative feedback from. I was pleasantly from. surprised. People about are that. like, "Oh, it's only natural for a cat to be outside,
0: <laughs> murdering songbirds." <laughs> did you see what I said though? No. I said, "People say, but my cat loves to be outside." And my response to that is, well, yeah, people love heroin, too, but it's not healthy for anyone involved, (laughs) right? (laughs) All right. (laughs) And then someone posted uh, an image of a catio, which I had never heard of, which is this little outdoor enclosure, which Mm -hmm. I thought, yeah, it's a beautiful thing.
1: You know what? I did see this tweet, because as you were saying what you wrote, it it, 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 it clicked. Yeah. Okay.
0: So is that a flicker or a pileated woodpecker?
1: I think it's... (laughs) <laughs> isn't the pileated woodpecker doesn't it go a bit longer than that or is I, it the other way around i forget every year uh, yeah
0: <laughs> it's one or the other
1: yeah you know what i was at tift and there was a call going for a lot longer than that and i actually did see that it was a flicker okay so
0: i'm you know so what if your little anecdote there is correct it was a pileated <laughs> <Yeah>. woodpecker <laughs> all right so moving on yeah some of the things i wanted to cover from last episode questions we had during the episode we wondered what lupus meant mm-hmm. you know what it means
1: uh, wolf. No. Okay. Lu- okay. Well, no, no, no. We knew what lupus meant. And we didn't. Are you sure? I'm sure. Because I thought I knew that lupine was named for a wolf or something like that. <laughs> you didn't
0: know that, at least no, during the episode. But I
1: thought, I swear I've known this for years. I guess maybe, maybe I just thought it, but I just wasn't, so, I wasn't confident enough to say it. But I, I, the one that I thought I had a question about was the specific epithet to coyote, whatever that was.
0: No, we, talk, we talked about that, Canis latrans. Oh, so. what does
1: latrans mean again? Barking. Oh, barking. Okay, yeah. so barking yeah. dog. Got it.
0: So canis lupus. Oh,
1: you know what? I think I knew that they shared that. They shared the same root, but uh, maybe I didn't know exactly what it meant. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm repeat. You know, I'm, I'm putting the pieces together.
0: <laughs> Steve is figuring this out as we're talking. Yeah, yeah. Mostly because you didn't listen to the episode. Not at all. No. <laughs> so it's not very exciting. Canis lupus, the scientific name for the gray wolf, it just basically means wolf dog. Nice. <laughs> 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 and when I explained the genus Canis, mm-hmm. I misspoke a little bit. I almost made it sound like subspecies is comes before species. Oh, so I just wanted to clarify that <laughs> for the listeners: genus, species, <laughs> subspecies. subspecies. Yeah. There are seven species within Canis. Mm-hmm. Three wolf species, one coyote species, three jackal species, and then there's many subspecies. Almost every species has multiple subspecies. <laughs> We also, I did a poor job of explaining Fission and fusion society to you.
1: I saw you post about this because I, your explanation was that it seemed like I thought that
0: during the day they split up and at night they come back together. Right. Yeah. And that is not what I meant. Yeah. So when the society is breaking up or coming together, that doesn't happen on like a daily or even a weekly basis. Yeah. This would be over long periods of time. Yeah. You know, maybe they get
1: back together for like mating or something, or.
0: Well, it would. They would respond to typically food levels in the environment okay there could be other factors too but if the group is under pressure from low food sources well then they're going to break up got it and then the last thing i wanted to cover before we get into the meat of today's episode the coyote season i couldn't remember when the official coyote season is here in new york state so it's from october to march Hmm. which i should have known because obviously that's the time of year when pups aren't around okay right? and you do need a small game license to hunt coyote in new york state got it okay you can't hunt anywhere in new york state but you can hunt almost everywhere in new york state there's just some places downstate like got around it. new york city long island where you can't hunt coyote <laughs> <laughs> all right so let's get into our questions for this episode finally yeah <laughs> so let me just ask you what's your gut feeling do coyotes have a big impact and i know that word big is yeah you know relative yeah relative but do they have a big impact on livestock?
1: I bet that it's significant, but it's still small. All
0: right. Now, I had never done a ton of research. Into and heads. again, I'm also
1: using very broad terms, too. <laughs> like, I think that it's something that we measure, but it still probably doesn't have a big effect on animal agriculture. And you're, and you're not think. a rancher. You're a, you know... I, am, I work on computers all day. I don't know
0: anything about... <laughs> Bleeding heart, liberal, animal lover. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, I kind of went into this with the background of, you know, looking into wolf predation on livestock mm-hmm. I know that wolf predation does happen on livestock but it's it's pretty small relatively speaking it doesn't happen as often as some people perceive that it does mm-hmm. but when you look into coyotes I was kind of like oh really <laughs> yeah they do prey on livestock more than wolves so let me give you an example and I should preface this by saying you know one of the more common reasons for people killing coyotes is because they're saying they're reducing predation on livestock and this is typically sheep or cows okay. that they're predating. On. So there was a 2015 report from the USDA, the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Now, I'm gonna stop for a second here, mm-hmm. folks. I feel like we keep stopping, but this is too good to... <laughs> it's kind sh- of a herky-jerky episode, yeah, this stop, te- go. <laughs> popped into my head though. So did you see that someone commented on our Facebook page? It was Mert Rebel no commented hey you guys you should check out the itunes canada website for the comments that people have left for you there you know what i did and then
1: i couldn't get my itunes to go over to the canada itunes
0: so did you figure it out (laughs) i did if you go all the way down to the bottom of itunes on the right hand side there's a little round flag emblem oh click on that and you can choose any country really so if you go we have a good number of reviews from canada yeah england ireland that we
1: that we just don't have uh, that that would never never have shown up before
0: we've never seen they're from years back how many one-star reviews (laughs) some (laughs) we get the most one-star reviews from america but i mean there's there's not a ton but there's even reviews from australia
1: wow yeah
0: so for i'm gonna have to check those uh, out people with fragile egos like us
1: it's a nice little ego boost Point. So maybe maybe next episode we can shout them out then.
0: Yes. Yeah. All so, at once. <laughs> I meant to do it this time. I just didn't have time to, yeah. to write them down. But thank you, Mert, for pointing that out to us. Because, hey, now I have another way to avoid work. I can be looking at iTunes from other countries and right. seeing who's <laughs> listening to our podcast. And now our numbers have been boosted. <laughs> <laughs> but that is why I spelled out what the acronym, or at least the letters USDA stand for, because... That's for you folks that are not from America.
1: Yeah. <laughs> All right, so or her, who are from America but you're too stupid to know. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> All right, so 2015 What is it against like United United States Department I'm kidding. Of... <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> so they had a report on sheep losses. Get this. Ranchers said 28% of adult sheep losses and 36 percent of lamb losses so roughly 30 percent of adult sheep and then lambs were due to predators now that's not all coyotes it's mm-hmm. a variety of predators but of the adult sheep lost to predators coyotes took half of them whoa of the lambs coyotes took two-thirds wow sounds like a lot right mm-hmm. yeah because when i saw these charts i'm like whoa right bad boy coyote <laughs> like, they are taking stuff Yeah. So according to the American Sheep Industry Association, over $20 million of ranchers' losses in 2014, that's like one-fifth of their total losses, Mm -hmm. were attributed to coyotes. Wow. So that's big numbers, right? Yeah. Now, there's a caveat to that. Because I saw those numbers and I'm like, whoa, that's a lot more than I thought it would be. Yeah. But when you read other articles related to this, other studies, those are self-reported. Those numbers are self-reported by ranchers. They're not verified by wildlife professionals. Oh, okay. okay. So what does that mean? Right. Well, review by external professionals would be useful because even experienced ranchers Mm -hmm. can have trouble, not every time, but sometimes, judging if a sheep was killed by a coyote or a dog. Mm -hmm. Dogs are second only to coyotes in reported predation on livestock.
2: Hmm.
0: All right, so uncontrolled dogs are the second biggest Cause yeah. of livestock predation. And it's tough to tell if it died from other causes and then was later scavenged by coyotes. Okay. Digging deeper into this, I even found an article from the 1980s from the New York Times. It said, the Wyoming Wool Growers Association claimed losses of 10% from coyotes. Utah wool growers claimed sixteen seven percent And those figures were based on questionnaires that were filled out by the ranchers, self-reporting. Some ranchers just attributed all losses to coyotes. They just said, everything we lost is due to coyotes. Okay. But then the Department of the Interior, they used biologists to follow up. And they estimated that the annual loss due to coyotes was really only about 4 to 8%. Okay? Oh. So that's like half of what the ranchers were reporting. Yeah. Okay. So you got to take those those numbers with a grain of salt. So Wait,
1: I, the half? The, a lot, it's a lot less than half, right?
0: Well, they said... Wyoming reported 10%. Oh, I see. Okay. And Utah wool growers reported 16%. Got it, got it, got it. So depending on which number you're looking at, right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so when you hear about coyote predation on livestock, it does happen, Mm -hmm. right? But it's arguable how much it's happening. And it definitely happens with coyotes more than wolves. Now, have you heard of wildlife services? So I mean,
1: I guess in general, unless that means something very specific. Well, this is a
0: specific agency Mm -hmm. within the USDA. Okay. Now to keep coyotes in check, Wildlife Services, this is a federal agency that ranchers can get in touch with and they say, hey, coyotes are taking my livestock. And Wildlife Services will come in and they will go after the coyotes, very often using lethal means, sometimes Mm -hmm. non-lethal. But they'll use things like neck snares and other traps. They'll shoot coyotes on the ground and from the air, from helicopters and airplanes. Right. They arm sheep with collars containing liquid poison. And then then they also put out these things called M44 bombs Hmm. that inject sodium cyanide into the mouths of animals that chew on them. So it's a a contraption, you stick it into the ground and it has a bait on top. And then what's supposed to happen is that coyote will come along, pull on the bait, and it injects cyanide, shoots cyanide into the animal's mouth. Hmm. So Wildlife Services, if you just do a search for that, you will find a lot of venom-filled articles on wildlife services a lot of emotion out there because they do kill a lot of animals in 2014 wildlife services killed 2.7 million animals so this is as i said it's a branch of the federal government that is basically i don't want to say it's at the beck and call of ranchers but practically speaking that's what it seems like Hmm. now there is collateral damage so these m44 these bombs that inject cyanide they killed more than 1,100 domestic dogs between 2000 and 2012, all hmm. right? Yeah. Scientists have criticized wildlife services for unintentionally killing numerous animals and birds, including federally protected golden was, eagles and bald eagles. I was
1: going to say those scavengers, eagles, I could easily see.
0: Now, I will say I came across articles that said, you know, within the past 10, 15 years, wildlife services have started to use more non-lethal means. hmm But even as recently as 2017, the American Society of Mammalogists, not a big activist group, Mm. right? (laughs) They released a statement specifically about wildlife services calling for more scientific scrutiny of the policy of killing large predators. Because that's one of the big arguments against wildlife services is they don't do a lot of studying of their methods and its impacts. (laughs) So, ranchers call them, they come in, they kill animals, they move on. Mm -hmm. So if anybody out there, you know, I feel like I'm painting wildlife services with a broad brush, but I'll say most of what I read, this kind of reflects what, what I feel is kind of a middle road of, of what I read. I mean, there's mm-hmm. some pretty venom, like I said, hate-filled stuff about wildlife <laughs> services out there. Yeah.
1: But yeah, Bill's maybe, middle of the road may have maybe shifted yeah. to one side. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I feel like you, you can be pretty unbiased. Well, I try to be
0: skeptical. Yeah, 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 you know. All right, so let's talk about how effective is lethal control. I'm gonna say it's understandable for ranchers, especially struggling ranchers, to blame coyotes for economic losses. When you see a kill, it's a tangible sign of a predator around and killing that predator seems like a logical solution. Mm -hmm. But how effective is it? There's research out there that indicates that even if predation is one factor in ranchers' losses, lethal control is not the best way to reduce it. One analysis from 2016 that reviewed a whole bunch of studies It compared lethal and non-lethal strategies for controlling specifically livestock predation. Mm -hmm. So the lethal methods, they range from things like civilian hunts to government culls. Did you know there's still public coyote hunts? Like a contest Hmm. where individuals or teams are awarded for how many coyotes they can kill within like a 24-hour period.
1: No, i mean yeah. it's not really in my world so. <laughs> no, well, not yeah. either, so
0: it seems pretty crazy to me that this is going
1: on you know i think uh. i heard about that with um what's that invasive snake down in the everglades oh the pythons
0: yeah th- that's yeah. a thing though right like python hunts and yeah. stuff yeah. yeah now they've they've altered that down in florida because they did realize that things weren't going as smoothly as they expected y- yeah the snakes were eating all the hunters <laughs> making the snakes more powerful <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's a topic for another episode all right <laughs> Then the non-lethal methods, they included fladry. Do you know what fladry is? No. So it's just flagging. So Fladry. Okay. So imagine setting up uh, long wires and then hanging orange or brightly colored flags off them every mm-hmm. yard or something like that. Yeah. Using guard animals, chemical repellents, and then livestock protection collars. So these are collars you could put on that might be spiked or be very durable. So if a coyote does try to take down livestock, they typically bite it around the neck. Hmm. They won't be able to kill the animal.
1: You have one of those on right now. Are you, like, nervous (laughs) that you're going to be attacked?
0: (laughs) I just don't want you to hug me. Socially distant. So this review found that non-lethal methods generally reduced livestock predation more effectively. And now get this. In some cases, predation temporarily increased after the use of some lethal methods.
2: Hmm.
0: Now think about what we talked about in last episode. Right. How when there's active control of coyote populations... It causes fragmenting of the groups. Mm-hmm. So just think about it. If you have a pack of coyotes living near a ranch, if you're practicing non-lethal methods, you're establishing with those coyotes through behavior that livestock is off limits. But when you're actively killing coyotes, this is at least the idea behind it, mm-hmm. you're fragmenting the coyotes living in that area. You're gonna have you're gonna have coyotes migrating in. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be more competition those coyotes could possibly go after livestock more often than those those coyotes that have been acclimated to those non-lethal methods. Oh, okay. So that's at least one of the ideas behind why actively killing coyotes may cause a temporary increase in livestock predation.
1: Okay. I wonder if cost is a factor that goes into it, because maybe it's cheaper just to shoot them than it is to buy all these collars and everything else.
0: You know what? I probably mentioned that in the, the study. And what I'll do is I'll put that in the episode notes. Okay. What is, what's the research say out there about what is more cost effective? Yeah. You know,
1: I don't really know much about hunting, but I know that some criticism has come to hunters. You, you know, a lot of people, they justify hunting with, oh, you know, we have to keep the herbivore populations down because we've eliminated their natural predators and things like that. And I think that's a pretty respectable reason to hunt, you know, to keep those numbers down. Mm -hmm. I do know that it doesn't have the same effect that a natural predator would have, but some people have made the argument that, no, that's garbage because we could do, we can go in there and um, sterilize the deer and, and then re-release them after they're sterilized. But that's super expensive. So it's really not the greatest way to do it just in terms of something that's like sustainable that we can just like keep doing year after year. I think that's great. It doesn't lead to the death of any deer. It just leads to the birth of fewer deer, you know? Um, And that that to me seems sensible, but it has to be feasible, you know, like economically feasible. So, because I imagine all the licenses bring in so much money and also they're not spending the money on sterilization. So yeah, that's like a double loss.
0: Have we talked about our personal feelings on hunting before? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Like, did we talk about it during the vegan episode? Well, no, yeah, I don't know.
0: I don't know. But I would say, like, I don't think you're anti-hunting, are
1: you? I'm not anti-hunting. No, so I'm not anti-hunting. Bill and I are both vegans. I think when we did the vegetarian... No, sorry. When we did the vegan episode, yeah. I was vegan at the time, but it was so new for me that I just called myself vegetarian. Yeah. Yeah, I, I almost wish that the only thing people were, and I know this is never going to happen, was you either were a vegan or you hunted for your meat. I think th- <laughs> those would be, like, the two... You know, I, I That's don't how know. you would split people out. Yeah, because cause I have so many people like in my family and otherwise that are like, hey, hunting's not so bad. And I'm like, yeah, then you hunt instead of <laughs> buying from the store. You do that and I'll keep not doing it. That's do you, fine. Do you think you could hunt if you had to? Yeah, I, I think I could. Yeah, I mean, I'll I, 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 I had to, I'll never have to. <laughs> well, you never know. But, uh... no, society's
0: <laughs> crumbling around us, right? <laughs> right.
1: Um, but, but I think it's a great option
0: for people who do eat meat. But if you don't eat meat, why switch over to it, you know? Right. Yeah. All right. So hopefully that uh, if someone was listening and they're saying, oh, these guys are anti-hunters, right? Yeah. Yeah. We're not anti-hunting. We're always asking, well, what does the research show, right? Right. Yeah. All right. That is what I had to cover on coyotes and livestock. So yes, they do seem to have an impact on livestock, definitely more than wolves. And if control is going to happen, it seems like non-lethal control is probably the best way to go about it, if that can happen. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to talk about the taxonomy debate oh gosh okay <laughs> <laughs> hey, i i want to apologize right now that if
1: this episode is already a little bit dry <laughs> no no it's it's about to get a lot more dry but i will say in my defense is that i have a horrible cord on the mic right now so the the sound keeps going in and out of my ears and it's so distracting that i'm trying to hear everything bill is saying <laughs> but but it's i have my
0: attention split right now between be a horrible mic Yeah. All right. So why don't we, why don't we walk a little bit? Sure. Sure. And while we're walking, why don't you tell people, what do I mean when I say that when we talk about taxonomy, you can divide taxonomists between lumpers and splitters? What does that mean?
1: Okay. So lumpers and splitters. So there are some people that are happy with having a general ID for something that maybe doesn't necessarily reflect reality but it's just easy enough for them to understand and as soon as you start going into more detail you can keep going into detail forever forever and forever and it's just uh it gets too muddled yeah yeah and and that would be a lumper <laughs> okay. and then
0: a splitter like is for example if we came across some violets today yeah we might just say It's a violet.
1: Well, you and I would, but that would be because of our skill level. (laughs) I'm a lumper until I'm good enough to be a splitter. There you go. Yeah. So I function on two different levels when it comes to ID. Sure. So taxonomy is really just a model. And I know there's a famous quote out there that all models are wrong, but some models are useful. (laughs) And I think both lumping and splitting are both useful. It just depends on what you know. Okay. And it depends on what your audience is. And I bring that up because this debate about coyotes... Did I say what a splitter was? A splitter is just someone who doesn't mind getting as specific as possible with what it means to be a species
0: or what population you're actually looking at. And they're okay if things are a little bit muddied and there's some overlap possibly. But this debate about whether the the coyotes in the east are a separate species or not, it really comes down to lumpers and splitters. Mm -hmm. All right, now I tend to be a lumper at least that's what i showed up today but you know the what you just said you tend to be a lumper except when you know enough and then i guess (laughs) that goes for me too yeah so i'm gonna start with the lumping case first got it so the idea that the coyotes here in the east even though they may be somewhat genetically and physically different from the coyotes out west that it's not different enough Mm -hmm. to constitute a new species now Oh, we just had a chipmunk. And I feel, exciting. Like, I feel like we... <laughs> All right, here's something more exciting. Ooh, yeah. I feel like we have to stop here and mention this because as we're walking along the trail, we're seeing trout lily in bloom. You'll know this and I don't. Erythra something? Erythronium americanum. There we go. There yeah. you go. And is the other one alba, the, the white one? The white one, yeah. White fawn lily or the white trout lily. I have never seen that in person. Seriously? Okay. you seen it around here? Yeah, I know, where, I know where a couple are. Oh. Yeah. So... This flower, if you don't know it, folks, you know, look it up online. A description is not going to do it justice, but it has, what would you call those leaves?
1: So it's just a, a pair of spotted leaves. They call it a trout lily because I think the leaf itself has like a trout-like, pay. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm not a fish guy. I don't I've know. heard
0: I've heard one story that says the leaves, since they're speckled or dappled, yeah. it looks like the way a trout does underwater okay. with the sunlight dappling its side.
1: And then in terms of the flower, you kind of have the typical lily family type of thing going on where that's actually just three petals and three sepals, Correct. but they're offset. So it almost looks like there's really six petals if you're not looking close enough, yeah. but there's clearly two separate whorls there. So yeah. the outermost world is the sepals, and then the innermost whorl that's just slightly off of those is uh, is the petals. And so. a
0: beautiful, nodding, bright yellow. That's oh, something. yeah. Yeah. Now, did you know you can eat that lily leaf?
1: Oh, I know you could eat them, yeah.
0: Do you like trout
1: lily leaves? Yeah, I think they taste like peas a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that but a, but a much better texture than peas. I'm yeah. not a big pea guy. A little bit sweet. It's good stuff. But how do you think it compares to oxalis? Do you prefer trout lily or uh, do you prefer what do they call it? Like sorrel. I know some people call it sour grass or sorrel. wood sorrel. Yeah. yeah,
0: I prefer oxalis. Really? Yeah, yeah. I do.
1: There is something special about this being a spring ephemeral. I think. Right. Obviously, you're not going to pluck a leaf of one that's in flower. It took them many years to get
0: to that point in their existence. I've heard it takes about seven years. Yeah, that's what I've yeah, heard for too. an individual
1: plant to flower. But we may have heard from the same source. That's true. <laughs> so how trustworthy is that? <laughs> I think I've separately looked it up before. Like I think in the literature it'll say that too. That, yeah. that it's you know at least five years or something like that. Cool. So now now we know that we're uh, we have opposite opinions. <laughs> I like the rarity of the trout lily and you like the uh the uh, commonness of yeah. the wood sorrel <laughs> although common wood sorrel is pretty cool with the white and purple flower
0: oh yeah and it, yeah oh it's a yeah. cool one and yeah. we should say oxalis it, it has oxalic acid so it tastes sour lemony mm-hmm. yeah that's that's a good uh trail side nibble there and it's a pretty
1: close relative to one of the pitcher plants that i work really sort of with yeah oh, i didn't know that yeah
0: cephalotus oh, uh, yeah. australian pitcher plant right. i feel like we have to move here okay. because um steve and i stopped on the trail and there's other people here at this site, and I feel like they're being forced to walk way off trail. Yeah, <laughs> Through yeah, the yeah. brush.
1: <laughs> and if we, uh, we're just gonna
0: keep getting distracted by trout lilies and stuff. <laughs> so there's some people out there that, the lumpers that are trying to say, no, the, the Eastern coyote is not a new species. But during my research, I kept coming across headlines from newspapers, mm-hmm. articles that were talking about coyotes. So if you're just looking at newspaper headlines, It definitely seems like a new species because listen to some of these. Victoria Beach, under siege by vicious new predator. The super coyote is here. They are here, maybe right in your own backyard and they're bred to hunt. (laughs) Coy wolves have taken over the Northeast. Um, Coyotes taken over East Haven backyards. And this is my favorite, this headline. This is our town's jaws. Oh yes. (laughs) and these are all headlines from within the past uh, seven years Mm -hmm. so these are relatively recent so do you remember in the last episode we talked about how some people had said that because of interbreeding between western coyotes as they moved east and eastern wolves that it helped create this new hybrid coyote better adapted to larger prey in the east yeah and it's bred to kill (laughs) exactly (laughs) so that, that wolves passed on these characteristics that made our coyotes in this part of North America slightly bigger, wider skulls. But remember, then we talked about how I came across someone that said, well, we can't know that for sure. It's possible that just because wolves were extirpated Mm -hmm. from most of the East, coyotes would have spread anyway. Okay. So maybe if we had eliminated all wolves, the coyotes, as they spread eastward, still would have spread eastward and done fine. Yeah. They just wouldn't have interbred with wolves. So I bring that up just as a reminder because that, that comes up a couple times here. But I want to talk about that hybridization because they can actually estimate the date of the most recent hybridization event that created the eastern coyote. So by analyzing their genetic structure, obviously. Mm-hmm. About 100 years ago, Wolf populations around the Great Lakes were at their lowest, as far as, as we know, in recorded time. And they were living at such low density that some wolves probably couldn't find another wolf to mate with. So they had to settle for... Coyotes. Coyotes, right? And <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Eastern coyote DNA shows that it happened about 100 years ago. And then about 50 years ago, it happened with coyotes and dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, The most recent date for that dog hybridization, it likely took place, and we kind of talked about this in the last episode, as the leading edge of the wave of the colonizing coyotes spread east, they would have run into a lot of feral dogs, but no other coyotes. And nowadays, eastern coyotes are going to have no trouble finding a mate because there's so many coyotes around. Yeah. So their populations continue to grow throughout this new range, and it's much more likely that they're going to kill a dog than breed with it. Got it Yeah. So there's been recent genetic testing, and what it's shown is that all Eastern coyotes are a mix of three species: coyote, wolf and dog. Okay. Now the percentages vary depending on which test is applied and the geographic location of the, the canine. Mm-hmm. So coyotes in the northeast, so in our neck of the woods, they're mostly coyote, anywhere from 60 to 84 percent, with lesser amounts of wolf, eight to 25 percent. Dog is only eight to eleven percent. Okay. But if you start moving south or east, the mixture slowly changes. Coyotes from Virginia, they average more dog than wolf, so about eighty-five percent coyote, mm-hmm. only two percent wolf, thirteen percent dog.
2: Wow.
0: And then coyotes in the deep south have just what they call a dash of wolf and dog. Hmm. So ninety-one percent coyote, four percent wolf, five percent dog. Hmm. These tests show that no coyotes here in the East are just coyote and wolf. And some Eastern coyotes have almost no wolf at all. So in other words, there's no single new genetic entity that could be considered a unique species. Hmm. This is what the lumpers are saying. It's just too varied across their new range, Right, right. right? In all Eastern coyotes, they show some evidence of past hybridization. But again, there's no sign that they're still mating with dogs or wolves. Hmm. All right, so their range has spread enough where now they can find a coyote. And so you have a coyote
1: that has these bits of dog and bits of wolf, right. but then they're gonna be mating with other coyotes that have bits of dog and bits of wolf. Right. So this is just gonna be something that sticks around in their genomes forever. Right,
0: and we're, <laughs> yeah. gonna, we're gonna talk about that though. So the coyote, wolf, and dog, I, I feel I should say this again. They are obviously three separate species that would prefer not to breed with each other. But biologically, they are similar enough where interbreeding is possible. Mm -hmm. So if they can't find a mate of their own species, it's possible, but rare, that they will breed with an animal from a different species. Mm -hmm. Now, this genetic swapping, it has happened more than once in history. So don't think that coyotes never had wolf genes before 100 years ago.
1: Humans are even guilty of it
0: we're Maid, a mix mating with coyotes <laughs> yeah. also when a human can't find another human to, to mate with they'll That's go outside their species <laughs> no so, admixture though it no, never happens no. for some reason yeah so tell me what admixture is that actually came up a lot in a lot of these papers
1: it, it would just be the exchange of genetic material between two different species yeah. so.
0: so you know that wolves here in north america they can have black coats right
1: oh i don't you know honestly i'm not a mammal guy no uh, but you've
0: seen pictures of I don't, black wolves oh
1: you know what i have yeah but i never really thought about it because i was like oh man i wonder if someone bred that
0: wolf to look so cool <laughs> no no because they usually have these glowing beautiful eyes and this black dark yeah. coat oh it's so cool looking. so that's only found in north american wolves not old world wolves okay so that gene for the black coat it's found in wolves and coyotes here in north america and studies have shown that that comes from some time in history wolves and coyotes breeding with dogs that were brought to the continent by the earliest native americans Hmm. so dogs that were brought over from asia now which dog and wolf genes are surviving natural selection today in eastern coyotes that's an area of of still active research
2: Mm -hmm.
0: if you look at western coyotes we know that they've adapted locally to their environments so there's limited gene flow between certain populations living in different habitats Mm -hmm. this is where you come up with the the subspecies yeah right
1: If you have two populations that are pretty reliably mixing their genes, they're just really going to be one population, (laughs) at least genetically. But if they're not mating,
0: then they have time to diverge. You get local specialization. And if if that's present for long enough, Mm -hmm. you could end up with separate species, right? Mm -hmm. So that begs the question, will Eastern coyotes specialize locally as well? How will the, the dog and the wolf genes sort out across cities and wildernesses? Will we end up with like an urban coyote species mm-hmm. that's a lot different from a, a more wild species of coyote?
1: I actually want to bring something up really quick. And that is you're using the word specialize.
0: Yeah.
1: And <clears throat> to me, that almost sounds like you mean they're adapting to their local environments, mm-hmm. that, that maybe selection is acting on them. But it could also be true that maybe selection's just keeping the parts that it needs to keep the same um, like in purifying selection and then maybe they're just they're just changing in kind of a more random way with genetic drift so sure so maybe it's not they're it could not be like
0: behavioral changes too, right sure
1: yeah. but but I'm not I'm just saying that maybe a population is changing from another population not because of adaptation maybe it's just old fashioned random evolution. It doesn't have to be non-random change.
0: That would have to be over a pretty long period of time, though.
1: I don't know. I mean, the clock's always ticking with mutations and stuff. So sure. d- so you could just get change for the sake of change. You, d- you don't necessarily need change to have adaptation. Sure.
0: Adaptation, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the adaptation is not necessarily a response to the yeah. environment.
1: Yeah. Selection is the only non-random evolutionary force. Okay. Yeah.
0: All right. So one of the authors of one of the papers I looked at said, so should we call the eastern coyote the coy wolf? Mm because that has come up a lot especially i just love the word using the word coy i love to do it so much (laughs) so that has come up a lot especially in the popular press so this author along with a lot of the lumpers they say look while there are wolf genes in some coyote populations here in the east there are also eastern coyotes with almost no wolf genes Hmm. there's others that have as much dog mixed in as wolf so koi wolf is an inaccurate name that causes confusion. Are
1: you going to bring up that other name again? That dog <laughs> wolf thing? The Dolphodi.
0: Dolphote. <laughs> no, I still I like it. that one. <laughs> so I'm going to summarize here the, the lumper argument. The coyote in the east has not evolved into a new species over the last century. Hybridization and expansion, they have created a host of new coyote variations in the east. But evolution, it's still sorting these guys out. Gene flow is going to continue in all directions. It's going to keep things mixed up, and that's going to lead to more variation over their range with no discrete boundaries. Now, could evolution eventually lead to a coyote so specialized to our eastern forests that they could be considered a unique species? Yeah, but for this to happen, you would have to have gene flow cut off with non-hybrid animals, leading to distinct types of coyotes that almost never interbreed. And we seem to be a long way from that possibility. Hmm. So the one article I read, they summed it up with, call it a distinct subspecies, call it an ecomorph, or call it by its scientific name, Canis latrans variety, but don't call it a new species and don't call it the koi wolf. (laughs) 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 All right. So that's the one side of the argument. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to talk about the other side. But first, Steve has something to say about this episode's sponsor. Gumleaf Boots.
1: All right, guys, so this episode is sponsored by Gum Leaf USA. So if you've been a longtime listener, you'll know that this company makes high quality, super comfortable, handmade, tall rubber boots. And I'm actually wearing a pair called the Field Welly, and Bill has the Royal Zips. The Royal Zip. Yeah. So they're handcrafted for comfort and function, and I actually think they look pretty good. They have a very simple design. They're 100% waterproof, durable, and made with 85% natural rubber. So you won't have to worry about them cracking. They have styles for men and women, and they're great for birding, botanizing, or any outdoor activity, like recording a podcast. (laughs) So if you're interested in high-quality, tall rubber boots, we recommend visiting gumleafusa.com and exploring their products. It's also a great way to support us and to help us do cooler things with the podcast in the future. So there will be a link in the episode
0: notes and on our website. Including a discount code for our Patreon
1: members. So we'll also put
0: that coupon code in the episode notes, but you have to be a patron to use it. All right, so let's talk about now the other side of the argument. These are the splitters. Now, I feel like I have to say that the bulk of my argument, it's going to split Eastern Coyotes even further, mm-hmm. because I didn't find much argument out there that all Eastern Coyotes should be a new species. Right. The most compelling argument I found, and the, and the one that kind of had the most to back it up, is that the coyotes here in the Northeast should become a new species? That the coyotes you find kind of in New England, a little bit outside New England, that they are different enough mm-hmm. from Western coyotes and other coyotes in the East to be their own species. Okay. Right? And this idea is really spearheaded by one guy named Jonathan Way, who's written a lot about it, he's written articles, he's been interviewed about it. And I'm going to focus on one study he did with another guy in 2016, William Lynn, called Northeastern Coyote-Coy-Wolf Taxonomy and Admixture, a Meta-Analysis. And this was in Canid Biology and Conservation. So they conducted a meta-analysis of Northeastern coyote taxonomy by reviewing all the literature on Northeastern coyote genetics and morphology from 1995 to 2014. Mm -hmm. So just about 20 years. And notice, again, they're focusing on the northeastern coyote.
1: Okay. So they're beginning with the assumption that we're already splitting the eastern coyote and the western coyote?
0: No. They're okay. saying that the most of the coyotes here in the east mm-hmm. are the same species as western coyotes. Okay. But that the coyotes in the northeast, they have moved enough genetically and morphologically to be a separate species.
1: I see now. Okay. okay. Yeah. Got
0: it. All right. So these authors, and I'm glad you said that. Because I want to begin by saying that their overall statement is the northeastern coyote should be made a new species, and they're proposing the common name of coy wolf. Although I don't know how you can propose a common name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and that's definitely a northeastern thing. If people that are naturalists in the south, especially like down in Florida, mm. you know, I've met naturalists down there that don't use common names at all. Oh, wow. It's because things are so diverse down there. Mm-hmm. They're just like, what are you doing using a common name? What's the point of that? Right, right. right. I think it works a little more up here in the, the Northeast. All right. These authors suggest that koi wolf is the most accurate term for this animal. And they propose a new species name, Canis oriens.
1: Oh, okay. Do you
0: know what oriens means?
1: Um, it just means east. Okay, east. East. I was going
0: to say, it sounds like Orient. Right. Orient is the east, right? Yeah. Orientalis. Canis orients basically means eastern canid or eastern dog. Because they're physically and genetically distinct from the parental species of Maine western coyote, Canis latrans, Hmm. and the eastern wolf, Canis lycaon. They also have smaller amounts of gray wolf and domestic dog. So this is their argument, that is. Essentially, that's why they recommend Classification as a new species. Now, they go into that percentage makeup that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. So, the fact that coyotes are 60 to 84 percent coyote and lesser amounts of wolf, 8 to 25 percent, and dog, 8 to 11 Mm percent. They said those numbers come from a study that has mostly been discounted by subsequent papers since eastern wolves were not adequately sampled in their analysis. Hmm. Now, I try to find points that discounted that study. Yeah, I couldn't find any, but you know, I, I'm not a professional. So if anybody out there can find information, please let me know. So they're saying, no, there's still disagreement about the amount of Eastern wolf versus gray wolf in its genome. Mm-hmm. And that additional genotyping needs to be done to sample known Eastern wolves to verify this. Yeah. But to me, that just says, well, they're just gonna take that eight to 25% wolf and it's just gonna break that out more between two wolf species. That's how I read it. Right. Like, I don't think it's gonna take anything away from the coyote percentage or dog percentage. Instead of just saying, well, it's eight to 25% wolf, you're just gonna take that wolf percentage and divide it up a little further.
1: Man, this is even kind of close to work that I kind of do, but it's <laughs> it's hard it's hard hearing a summary of the work sometimes instead <laughs> of actually looking at like their phylogenies. Right. and Because you can make these big within-species evolutionary trees and sometimes you can know if something is its own species if every member is completely clustered outside of other members of its species and then you're like "Ooh, maybe there is something going on here but if you see that clustering of this this koi what do they call it koi wolf koi wolf yeah if if you see this clustering of this koi wolf and it's completely clustered within all the other coyotes or wait we're talking about coyotes or wolves now coyotes i'm so confused why they're calling it a coy wolf but i'm okay with it i think that maybe they're just pushing that new species name as hard as they can again it's a common name i know (laughs) but if it's clustered within all the other members of the coyote species then you could safely say that it belongs to that species Mm -hmm. if it's not you know if it's clustered within them rather than clustered outside of that the rest of them yeah
0: and i feel like but if without looking at that it's really hard to to see what they're saying exactly and i i need to be completely honest that a lot of these papers that i read got very deep into the genetics which is Mm -hmm. definitely not my field of even familiarity so if i'm getting anything wrong and someone knows better folks please contact us and let us know my my
1: lab they actually work with dogs they usually have wolf and coyote and dog genomes So I wonder, maybe I should ask them about it (laughs) because they specifically work with this stuff. They do a lot of dog work.
0: All right. Yeah, you uh... could ask them. Because I will say that this is still very active research that's going on. Even just Canis as a genus Mm -hmm. in North America, there's still a lot of active genetic research going on. Yeah. So the Northeastern coyote, they say, now has very little genetic input from its parental species, and that includes other groups of coyotes. Hmm. So they're saying this new group is genetically distinct enough that it's not even interbreeding okay
1: so it's reproductively isolated in in some sense
0: yeah but then they say except in states where they overlap or in areas where they overlap like southeastern canada ohio pennsylvania and the mid-atlantic area (laughs) just in those areas and and we're
1: only talking about the northeast (laughs) right so even within the northeast i don't know
0: so i I don't want to seem biased but I feel like the, I'll be honest, I feel like the lumpers make them more And again, this is sort of out, outside idea. of both of our fields,
1: sort of. So right. I don't know. Maybe that's good for them. But. There's some canine geneticists
0: out there saying, you guys are idiots! Yeah.
1: <laughs> Stay in your lane, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> All right. Is it just me or, or do They also, they seem to dismiss southeastern coyotes and, and other coyotes as just western coyotes. Hmm. Even though that genetic analysis shows they're hybrids as well right so it just to me it seems like there's too much overlap all right so to sum up the splitters argue that because the koi wolf ugh, is morphologically and genetically different than any other described population of canis it should be classified scientifically as canis Oriens and not canis latrans variety so what do you think
1: <laughs> i don't even want to
0: give my opinion on this if i had read some of the studies
1: well, you know me, I'm a sucker. So I'm, you remember the tick episode? I was like, it's totally to avoid parasites is why we don't have any hair on our bodies. So, you know, like ticks, like I buy into stuff. But I think, I think when I do read these papers, I try to be as critical as I can. Yeah. And that one was just a fun idea. I, I wasn't buying into it specifically, but. Why, it's, you're talking it's, about
0: why we're the hairless apes. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Why we're the hairless apes. But I think I would really need to look at the study. Sure.
0: But just based on what I'm saying. (laughs) Absolutely not. I don't believe anything you say. (laughs) Now, I should say that the the main paper I used by John Way, it did say, he ended with, it should be kept in mind that the genome of these Northeastern coyotes may become genetically swamped by genes in coyotes from the South and the West, where coyote populations are more Mm Western-like. So it really remains to be seen whether this entity in the Northeast will stay distinct. Mm-hmm. all right so he does put it out there that he understands things are still in flux right so i, I felt that that was good that he threw that in there at the end sure okay <laughs> <laughs> all right so that is it the end of our coyote suite of episodes great do you feel satisfied <laughs> <laughs> no i don't <laughs> i feel like we kind of ended with a whimper there <laughs> although linda did say in the uh first episode that mm. uh, you need to work on your yips
1: Oh yeah, uh, she would know too. So. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. I'm I'm saying she shouldn't know any better than me.
0: <laughs> All right, so to wrap up the episode, uh, before we get into our our usual announcements, I I want to recommend that our listeners go check out the In Defense of Plants podcast because yeah we just did an episode with matt because steve and i were there yeah yeah <laughs> so episode 261 came out on april 19th we sat down with matt via zoom mm-hmm. and we talked about field guides
1: yeah honestly i think it was just more us kind of having fun <laughs> and it was a weird episode but i liked it it was yeah, yeah it was, very it was casual. just fun yeah, yeah. there's just a casual don't expect to come out of it learning anything major because <laughs> um, i think the following week the one that just came out He actually did something about the history of Field Guys. Yeah, I haven't listened to that one yet. Yeah, I I haven't listened to it either. I don't listen to Matt's podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I I listen to it when I start to feel really guilty. I'm like, man, I got to listen to Matt's podcast. (laughs) I don't have a lot of time to listen to podcasts. I'm lucky I listen to ours. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, first and foremost, we want to thank our growing list of Patreon supporters. And we are grateful for each and every person that donates to us through Patreon. But each month, we do take a moment to thank our top patrons. So thank you, Alyssa, The Hebranks, Daniel, Diane, Jessica,
1: Ken, Orange Julian, Rachel, Rich, Sean, Bruce, Esther, Gavin, Goose, Jeff, John, Kazes,
0: Pollywog, Rob, and we named the dog Indy. And special thank you to our two newest patrons, Sean and Kazes. I hope we're saying that right. And Sean (laughs) Carroll, the famous... (laughs) Uh, theoretical physicist (laughs) thank you so much
1: we're honored we
0: should be giving you our (laughs) patronage. i hope that's who it is (laughs) and if you'd like to support the podcast through patreon head on over to patreon.com or you can make a one-time donation to us through our website and if you're like me and you can't afford to
1: financially support a podcast right now you can go to itunes and leave us a five-star review
0: or whatever you think we deserve. <laughs> <laughs> or any podcatcher, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we also want to thank the newest five star reviewers Extreme Angler 1000, Rickled, or it could be Rickled, mm-hmm. <laughs> FBB Dale, and Irish Rose 1127. Thank you for those review, folks. Yeah, thank you. And you can also check out any of our social media feeds. And you can always check out our home at thefieldguidespodcast.com or send us an email at thefieldguides at gmail.com.
1: So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next month. See you next month, folks. Or whenever.